RadioInfluence.com. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to Life in the Fast Lane, hosted by me, your boy, Mr. Black Moses. Listen, listen, man, I, I am suffering from the winter blues. It's, you know, on the East Coast, shout out to all my people, to all the riders on the West Coast uh, and down South, uh, my big bro, uh, Tyson Beckford has been posted on his gram. He's been out on his bike on his Ducati Street Fighter. He's been posting in his IG stories and the you know him pictures of him out on the bike. You know, living a good life and just you know, it, it it kills me. He'll just take a screenshot of the weather forecast. You know, Miami, eighty six degrees, sunshine. And I'm like, oh, I'm dying up here. I'm dying. I am so looking forward to just warmer, warmer riding weather, warmer conditions. Just I'm just looking forward to being warm. Black Moses is tropical people. You dig? <laughs> people, we need warmth. We need sunshine. We need, we need primo riding conditions you know i spoke a couple of weeks ago about layering up and and you know being able to ride in in tough terrain and and you know weather and yeah okay that's true but at this point at this point your boy needs some sunshine and some good riding weather I'm looking forward to in the next couple of weeks uh, Daytona Beach Bike Week. Who who's going down? Who's coming down to Daytona Beach Bike Week in Florida? Uh, I go every year. There's there's so much to do. Uh, there's Main Street. There's Destination Daytona. There's uh, flat track racing shout out to my people at aft i mean if you haven't been to a flat track race during daytona bike week you're missing out and of course the daytona 200 i got uh i received a phone call a couple of weeks ago from my bro mark pulliam down in Daytona, and, uh, and and I had heard the news. I got the news, but my boy Josh Hayes, that's right, Josh Hayes, former champion in Moto America, AMA Pro Racing, my dude, Josh Hayes, is running the Daytona 200. So I'm excited. I'm stoked to get down there, not just for you know, the the sunshine and the warmer weather, but also to just, you know, just that motorcycle life, just to partake. I'm ready. I'm excited. Black Moses, tropical people. You heard it here. You know it. Bring me the sunshine. That's what I'm talking about. And listen, I appreciate everybody who's been tuning in. Uh, the show's going great, and I can only say thank you to you guys and gals who are tuning in every week, listening and supporting. Black Moses appreciates 
appreciates each and every one of you. On this episode of Life in the Fast Lane, my guest is Tony Prust, custom bike builder and owner of Analog Motorcycles and Analog Motor Goods. Welcome to Life in the Fast Lane, y'all. Let's ride. opportunity to meet up with Tony Pruss back in 2012. I was working on a story for Sport Bikes Inc. magazine, so we linked up in the suburbs of Chicago, and we rode around the greater Chicago area on a plethora on his fleet of custom machines. Uh, and, And today, Tony Prust continues to build amazing custom motorcycles with his analog motorcycles, and he has launched Analog Motor Goods to further the brand. Please welcome to Life in the Fast Lane, my friend, Mr. Tony Prust. Tony, what's going on, my man? Are you there? I am here. How are you doing, Alan? I'm doing fantastic. Doing fantastic. Um... Thank you for, uh, for for spending a little bit of time with life in the fast lane. You know, uh, you know, your boy Black Moses. I try to I try to bring everybody together that is involved with the motorcycle industry. Everybody that has love for two wheels. You know, it's uh, it's a good situation. And I in this this particular uh, conversation that we're about to have is cool because you are the first builder on the show you know we're a couple of episodes deep right now but you're the first bike builder and i think that uh you know that that merits something that merits a a silent or a a very small golf clap of you know a little bit of applause that's all how are you man what's going on oh you know it's cold up here in the windy city so we're heads down working like we do so we try to get through the winter by working on stuff and occasionally i'll get out nice ride but the season's been kind of rough it's been warm and cold and various various large swings of both so Mm. hasn't been really good for ice riding but we're doing we're we're working doing good now you're analog motorcycles you guys are is it gurney illinois is this it's right outside of chicago is that correct did i pronounce it correctly We're actually in Waukegan, Illinois. Okay. We've moved uh, out of Gurney into Waukegan about four years ago, and we are about 40 miles north of Chicago and about 40 miles south of Milwaukee. So we're kind of in between the two big cities and just uh, south of the Illinois-Wisconsin border. Okay. And when did – okay, how did you uh, conjure up the concept for analog motorcycles um i've always kind of been into riding i've been motorcycle riding on the road since about 94 and every bike i've owned i've always changed something or customized something on it um i always kind of live by the motto that stock is for walmart shelves (laughs) and so you know anything that from a paint job to a sticker to some powder coat you know anything that i've ever owned I've kind of tried to tweak, and in 2008, or actually I picked the bike up in 2007, um, it was an older CB750. I had kind of messed with my Ducati Monster at the time, done some 
you know, extensive taking apart and powder coating and tailoring. And so I figured I'd try it on an old bike cause it was cheaper. And sure. we, uh, we did some pretty cool things with that bike. Uh, during the process, I said, you know, I'm going to just come up with a brand, you know, just to kind of see if this thing takes off. And I had a buddy of mine as a graphics guy come up with a logo and we came up with a name together and, you know, it kind of, it was kind of a whim. Um, and the bike came out at the right time, you know, to the whole custom scene that we're currently in kind of fired off in, in the late 2000 or, you know, the first 2000s, 2005, 6, 7, 8 era when, when the market kind of tanked and the chopper scene was going out, you know, so it was strike at the right time. We got a lot of press, um, and it was cool. I had a buddy of mine wanted me to build him a bike, so I did another one. It got more press, and we were in a calendar, and it just kind of started snowballing from there and to the point where I was getting, you know, requests to build bikes on a monthly basis that, you know, I was like, wow, this is cool. You know, I had no idea how I'd make money at it or anything like that. So it was a lot of trial and error for the first several years, losing money and figuring stuff out. And But at the same time, keeping the brand going, um, we diversified, you know, in the middle of it. It's like, you know, building bikes is cool. We get a lot of press with them. It's kind of our marketing, but it's not bringing in a you know, a livable income. So we started a parts brand and, you know, we've just been building this whole thing ever since. That parts brand, that's Analog Moto Goods. Is that correct? Yep. Analog Motor Goods is our uh, separate parts company, um, separate, but together. Uh, we do several plug and play things for Triumphs, uh, lighting kits, signals, you know, that sort of stuff. And then We've been adding slowly to the collection of parts, most of which we have made here in the U.S. Um, and then we've also tailored, you know, sort of curated a, a number of vendors that we, you know, are endorsed with or endorsed by, parts that we like, things that I use regularly, like Moto Gadget and Magura. And we've slowly started to build up our web presence and, you know, we sell things that we know work and stuff that we know that we've made that works as well. What What are your thoughts on, let me, let me put it like this. I recall a time when custom bike building uh, consisted of, and it still kind of does, but more in the early 2000s, particularly on the East Coast, you know, the... the dropped and stretched, the chrome, the wide tire kits, uh, you know, the one-off paint jobs, one-off parts. I mean, that that period of custom building, okay, it, I think it served a purpose. It still does. Do you feel any type of connection to that, you know, to that genre of custom bike building or where you are as a bike builder completely different? Are you in a completely different Avenue Street Lane. See what I did there, Life in the Fast Lane. Different lane of <laughs> of existing. Like, how do you, what do you what are your thoughts on that genre of custom bike building? Um, I do think that we're in a different lane. I mean, I started out riding sport bikes, and I know their place. It took me, you know, probably five or six years of of road riding to realize that this thing, you know, is pretty dangerous and can be 
it can be pretty crazy on the road if you start pushing it like I was. So I started doing track days and I was like, man, this thing is, this is where I belong. So I did track days for several years and the, the stretched, you know, I, I understand, like, I, I think for me, we always try to improve the motorcycle. So I try to give it better suspension, make it handle better, um, kind of change the ergonomics to fit the rider, whoever the customer is. Um, Whereas I think the stretch stuff, I think, is performance-based. Um, the chrome stuff is is really cool and shiny. I think it's performance-based in a specific thing, which is you know more like drag racing. And right. I don't really gravitate towards drag racing. I'm more of a curvy road, canyon, track day guy. Right. Um, or off-road, ripping around the city kind of dude. So I think I try to – I probably ride a certain way, and I think my bike's sort of – are something when they leave the shop there's something that i would want to ride right. and you know and i don't necessarily like drag racing i don't you know not that i don't like it i just i don't go that route usually i think there's you know the the time and investment that people put into tenths of seconds is mind-blowing to me For sure. um, i think that we just kind of steer towards you know a custom people ask me a lot of times you know since you know, back in the 90s, when anything was custom, it didn't matter what it was, it was called a chopper. And <laughs> nowadays, you know, for the last probably six years, anything that was custom was called a cafe racer. Okay. Now, anything that's custom is called a scrambler because it's it's whatever the trend is. And I think right now the trend is still kind of on the back end of scrambler. But, you know, people are like, so you build scramblers? It's like, I have. <laughs> you know, do you yeah. build cafe racers? A couple, you know, but I don't. I usually don't classify specifically what we do into a specific type of genre or a specific type of thing. You know, we, we just say we build customs and that's what we do. You know, it's whatever, whatever the canvas speaks to me to do. That's what I do. You're an artist. You're an artist. Let's just exactly. keep it. Let's keep it 100. Exactly. You are an artist. And, uh, you know, your paintbrush ha- just happens to be a wrench. Um, yeah. What? Who is your customer? You know, you mentioned that, you know, when people ask you these things and, and you've mentioned uh, people began asking you to build bikes for them. Who, who's your customer base? Like who's who's calling analog motorcycles up and saying, hey, look. I got a bike or I want you to, I want you to do your thing to it. And, or can you just put something together for me? Who's your guy or gal? Um, when I started, it was the majority of the inquiries that were coming in were because the new thing was in, in 08 and 09 and 10 was like a cafe racer thing. And it was based on a lot of Japanese cheap bikes were popping up on Craigslist. So a lot of, a lot of the start was kind of those builds like inexpensive vintage seventies, Japanese stuff. Um, I started realizing early on that there's not a lot of money to be made because it doesn't matter if the bike is a Japanese model or a BMW from Germany or a Ducati from Italy or a Triumph from the UK. Like it, I put the same amount of effort and work into you know powder coating everything, tearing the whole thing down, all the custom fabrication work, the paint job, the seat upholstery, like all those things we're all the same price roughly like it's all that stuff was it's just the donor bikes were cheaper and some of the parts were cheaper what came with that was a lot of the demographic was well i want it cheap Mm. and i realized quickly that that's not a business model like so we've kind of actually steered 
away from the Japanese vintage, and we've started more focus on European models. Okay. Um, so that's why we did a lot of Triumph parts, because you find that that consumer is willing to spend more than the Japanese, you know, sort of vintage consumer. And there's no, you know, there's still plenty of guys out there that'll build anything. We'll build anything. I just found that the, the that customer was different. Um, so now we've kind of, our current customer is somebody that's got a couple bikes, they have some expendable income, and they're willing to spend something on, you know, a creation that I come up with that's basically rolling art. Sure. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Um, the term built, not bought. That's it's it's a it's a phrase. It's a statement. I've obviously being a journalist, I've been hearing it more and more. I've used the term as well myself. But you being the artist builder, what does that mean to you? Like what does built not bought? I think it it has sort of mixed emotions, to be honest. Like I think I started out obviously building and not buying. You know, like I would try to find something. I you know, I built a bobber that I found a bunch of stuff at rummage sales and thrift stores and you know, like it was fun, it was it's unique, it's something that is personal to you, you know, but you can't you can't expect that motto to follow with, hey, I want to sell you a part. <laughs> right. You know, like we're also a parts company. So no, don't build it. Buy it. <laughs> right. And that that's why I was asking you because you know you build, but you also sell parts that can can be bought and that your customers or clientele can purchase from you and then put on themselves. So where's the line is there a line? Does it does the line blend? Does it blur? I think it blends. I think, you know, like we design some of the parts, like our universal taillights, they're designed to be taken apart and you can mount them in different ways. You can, you know, and I've done it and builds, you know, I've showed like, you know, fabricating something and welding it to an R9T tail and then putting our taillight housing on that instead of just using it, you know, as a bracket. We have, you know, turn signals that are little mini bolts that basically you figure out a way to mount it, you know, if you want to mount it through a plate or come up with some sort of spacer like there's i try to find and curate and use our parts in different ways not just the plug and play stuff so you know i think i think sitting in your garage and building and tinkering is awesome like i encourage anybody to do it there's obviously a sense of satisfaction when you get your hands dirty and create something yourself that you can't really explain you know like the satisfaction you get from that's not something that you can tell somebody it feels like this because until you do it, you don't know. Right. Um, so I, I definitely encourage people to use our parts in unique ways. You know, we sell random stuff, powder coated a different color, like just you know, be creative. <laughs> you know, I'm all, all about, you know, doing that sort of stuff. So I think there is a blend. I don't think it, I don't think it's blurry. I don't think that it's something that, you know, I don't in, I don't endorse or not endorse build or bought, built not bought. I think it's I think it's cool and you know do do you you do you do you I like that I like that. Um, we are also you know in in an age where again like the bike and I'm taking it back to like my point of point of reference where there were bike nights that celebrated that whole lavish. Uh, 
bling bling era of custom bike building, but the the stage has now changed. Uh, there are national shows, on, and I even that you would say international shows, but just nationally, there are shows where builders can show off their creations. There's shows like uh, the Hand Build show, which is in Austin. That's coming up in April. There's the One Moto show, which was, I think, last month, and I think even last week was the Mama Tried show. Uh, what are your thoughts on those platforms, and, and does Analog participate in? I believe you guys had a bike in the Hand Build last year and the One Moto this year. Were you guys at Mama Tried? Yeah, we we're uh, we've had a Mama tried all six years. Uh, been to the One Moto show two years. We did just go a couple weeks ago um, this year. Uh, been to the hand built show almost every year, and you know we've been invited to several shows that are popping up all over the country. My my thoughts on them are at you know starting out when they were all starting out. You know, Moto One just. I think they just celebrated 10 years, which is incredible. Like they've, you know, they've been doing it as long or longer than any of them. Um, I think the hand-built show has been at it for six years now, maybe. Okay. And Mama Tried, Mama Tried, I think, just celebrated six years. So seeing and starting and going to all these shows from their inceptions and their ideas to what they currently are, it's been it's been an industry progression overall. So it's, it's not even just the shows, it's this entire industry as a whole. Like you're starting to see, and I think this is in some of your other notes is the OEMs are, they're participating in these shows. They're right. tailoring their new motorcycle lines for, you know, custom ability and they're debuting new models and prototypes and, you know they're they're using these shows as a platform as well because it's very communal. I think what what I find at most of these shows is you know I don't necessarily get uh, a customer out of it or you know we may we may get some advertising. You know it's definitely it helps with marketing to go to some of these shows. But at the end of the day, you know if they didn't exist, you know I don't know that it would put me under so sure. to speak i think you know i think it's you know we we have to do other things other than these shows what i've noticed is they started out very grassroots very gritty very, very organic right of the earth yeah, like right. fine yeah they would find warehouses and old buildings and and now they're like they're getting corporate sponsorships and you're seeing a huge sort of commercialized uh influence I would say, I would, right. you know, I wouldn't say that it's totally that way. They would you say it's more support? Deals, would you say it's like more, they're getting more support from? Absolutely, they're getting more support. And, you know, they, in order to keep them going, you know, you can only do grassroots and lose money so many times before you stop doing <laughs> them. So, right. obviously, they've, you know, they've, they've capitalized on, on these OEMs that want to be involved. They want to show their latest stuff, too, and... You know, they'll hire builders to build bikes for display at these shows, and we've done some of those. Um, so I think I think it's cool. I definitely try to hit up as many as I can. There just seems to be so many of them popping up regularly that it's hard to pick and choose what makes the most sense. You know, um, you but know they're cool. Yeah, you know, it's cool. You mentioned two things. Um, well, one thing that you mentioned is how – 
the manufacturers, the big brands are almost like they're visiting and they've started to take notes, you know, in addition to supporting the events, but they're taking notes and then they, you know, a year or two later, they're, they have a model that, you know, is obviously derivative of pieces that they have seen or do you know what I mean? Like you had mm-hmm. mentioned, like how some of those major lines will come out with uh, a custom whatever, but it a custom bike, but it looks similar or there's heavy notes taking from uh, from pieces that they may have seen at these shows. And it made me think of Tommy Hilfiger. Hilfiger, sorry, Tommy Hilfiger. And the rumor was that Tommy used to go to the malls on the weekend or whenever and watch what the young urban brothers and sisters were wearing, um, took notes of their trends, then went back to his warehouse and his factory and started producing clothes that took heavy note from what he was witnessing in the real world. And it's just interesting that the, you know, from a grassroots beginning, the movement of, if you want to say, the movement of built, not bought, it's now, you know, it's it's it's, it's kind of like everything comes full circle. Everything comes full circle. Mm-hmm. Do you, what do you think that they're getting right? The manufacturers are getting right. Um, on a side note, there's a new documentary out called Oil in the Blood that we were in that's okay. starting to to kind of travel around. And I would definitely encourage any of you listeners out there, if it's coming to a showing near you, to, to check it out. Because it, it basically encapsulizes what we're talking about. You know, the, the whole movement and custom, you know, custom builders from across the world. And they touch on this quite a bit. And, you know, the OEM thing... As a whole, the industry is kind of kind of hurting, you know. Like they're they're seeing less less riders, you know, less riders are buying new motorcycles. And you know, the myth was that okay, well, we don't have, you know, we're losing riders or we're losing customers. And the fact is, is they're they're not. There's more people buying used motorcycles than ever before. And I think the the OEMs are starting to realize, okay, these guys want to custom. They want to make it their own. I mean, Harley's been doing that for years, you know, let, letting people kind of buy a Sportster and sell them a crap load of, you know, accessories and stuff to, to make it their own. But it wasn't always the case with all the other OEMs. I mean, now you got Triumph that, you know, you buy a Triumph and they have a bunch of Triumph accessories you can put right on your financing and have the dealership install for you to tailor it to be your own. Um, you know, I think, I don't know that it's what, I don't know what to say as far as what they're getting right or wrong. You know, I think the, they definitely are, are trying different things. The biggest thing I think we need is more riders. You know, we need more people involved. We need more people that are interested in this and whatever it takes, you know, if it's not working then change it up. And it sounds like whatever the big OEMs have been doing, it wasn't working. So they're changing it up. And, you know, I, I think some of it's working. I'm in a small niche sort of version of this industry. So, you know, I see what I see. I don't know if it's big picture or not sometimes. You know, I don't know if, you know, you hear and you read, you see all these things about certain companies are hurting, certain companies are shutting down, certain companies are getting bought, you know, but 
at the end of the day, if people are out riding and having fun, the industry is going to keep moving. You know, I like how you said that. And that's actually, that's, I, that's how I feel. You know, as long as people are riding, they have, they must have something to ride on. Um, and I, and I can see, you know, the reason, the reasons from both sides of the table, um, encouraging people to build their own as opposed to buying their own, or even if it's okay, buy it, but then build it up from the from the stock platform and make it your own. Like I, 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 I see both sides of the table. I see where you as a builder, you know, you're, you, I'm sorry, you as an artist, as the, as the artist, yeah, I, you know, your viewpoint, it's almost like, and I don't want to uh, trivialize it by saying, but it's almost like, you know, going into an Ikea and buying a print that's been already stretched on canvas and say, hey, put this up in your apartment. It's going to look nice. Opposed to going into an art gallery and buying an original, uh, meeting the artist, talking with the artist, getting to understand the soul of the artist. There, I mean, there's a, and, you know, truth be told, you know, I went to art school, Tyler School of Art, shout out, you know, Temple University. Uh, so <laughs> being an art, a creative person, like I, I can, I not sympathize, that's not the word. I, you know, I, there's synergy there to understand the mind of the creative versus the mind of the mass producer who wants to move units so yeah i get it maybe they're maybe they're doing they're doing a lot of things right and maybe it's not so much what they're doing wrong maybe the answer is we just need more riders we need more riders yeah i think i've noticed that you know i've had some people in you know the, the small community that i kind of ride with and and know and most of the guys that i regularly hang out and ride with have a couple and more than one bike and there's there's definitely a love affair with getting your hands dirty like i mentioned before and and being able to build something that you know is yours but there's also a sense of satisfaction when you want to go ride on the weekend you just have something that's a little bit newer that you know is going to make the trip right so right i'm starting to find like guys that have been tinkering on their bike for you know a couple of years now are going out and buying one of the newer models that like a ducati scrambler or like a triumph street twin and and they go out and ride that bike because they know it's going to work it still looks cool and at the end of the day you just want to ride you want to ride and have fun you know the the projects are cool for the winter up here it's something to do Right. But, you know, once once our five months of riding season mm-hmm. kick in, you know, we, we want to be time, all about all, it. That right. all important seat time. What are you riding right now? Um, so I was always a Super Duke guy. I had a 990, then I had a 1290. This end of the last season, a buddy of mine wanted my 1290 pretty bad. And I came across a pretty good deal on a 09 Hyper Motard. So. Mm. My daily is kind of a hyper motard, or I have a KTM EXC 530 that's ice, motard, and dirt. I have two sets of suspension and three sets of wheels, and I call it my Swiss Army bike. <laughs> I can kind of make it whatever I want it for that week or month. Um, and then my 72 bobbers for cruising around town on occasion, but there's always bikes of plenty yeah. around here. Yeah, when um when I visited with you, what was that? What year was that? Oh man, 
a while ago. That was a while ago. I mean, that was me. Probably and 12. I think, two, yeah, 2012. Uh, it was you, uh, Sam, uh, and myself, uh, Sam Loeffler from the band Chevelle. Uh, shout out. Was good. Um, it was that you know in the garage where it was you had a couple of projects on the uh, on the benches, but then you know we went for a ride. It was kind of like, all right, well, what do you want to ride? There was a nice little selection to choose from, and uh, you know that was fun, man. That was that was actually the only day, that was the first time me being in that part of the country and then just getting out and just going for a ride. I mean, we were working on an article for Sport Bike Sync Magazine, but I mean, that was a really, that was a grand day. That was one of my favorite days. So, thank you for Back providing. Back up and do it again. You got more bikes now. Say less. Say less, man. That might happen this summer. Alright. Um, how often do you get to ride? Are you riding every day? Like... Um, when the weather, no. when the weather is, you know, when it, within those, you said those five months, when the yeah, weather is primo. I, I try to, I try to commute to work maybe two or three times. My commute's pretty short. Um, test riding when I can, but I try to get out at least every other week on on a decent ride. And a decent ride to me is like a hundred miles. Um, so I'll usually try to go out in Wisconsin County. I got you know a route that I usually kind of take and link together a bunch of roads. Uh, I took a break from track days for a while because I had bad elbows and I'm kind of on the mend and I've actually scheduled about four track days this year and I'm building, a, I'm building a KTM Super Duke 990, the one I think that you rode that that 2012 ride. Yeah, yeah. Um, I actually am turning that into a track only bike now. Are you serious? So, yeah. Nice. So we're going we're gonna to do some, some track riding again, which I'm pretty amped about. That's good stuff, man. That's good stuff. Um, what would you say to somebody who, you know, the up and coming builder, you know, the up and coming person who, you know, who wants to get it, you know, pick up a wrench and build something. Any words of, a, of advice from a pro artist slash builder? Um, I don't know, man. I think <laughs> I definitely encourage them to do it. It's it's fun. And. I think one of the misconceptions is, you know, it's it's definitely I wouldn't want to do anything else. And they say that, you know, if you do what you love for a living, you never have to work a day in your life. Yeah. You know, that's a phrase that's out there, but it should be caveated with unless you own your own business. <laughs> wait, 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 pause, then, pause, pause, wait. You, then know, you work every day of your life. Bro, I have to tell you, so often do I hear, oh man, I wish I was you. I wish, I wish I, you just get to do all of this and go here and ride this and that. And I, my response is, you might want to be Black Moses on a Friday night, maybe a Saturday, perhaps on a Sunday afternoon. But when Monday comes around, you don't want to be me. You don't want to be me because the work to get to the amount of work put in to get to the place where you will want to be me on a Friday or a Saturday. That's all grind time. That's all putting the work in to get to a point where I can look like I'm smiling. That's work in itself. Yep. So, you know, I would encourage the guy that's starting out to just have fun with it. You know, don't don't take yourself too seriously. Don't take this too seriously. Just have fun with it. Enjoy it. Create something that you're going to be proud of. You know, and if you if you want to make it a business, take it slow. 
you know, like don't don't try to jump in and, and think you're going to make a living at it right away because it's a lot of work. Is there any money in it? Let's keep it 100. Keep it 100 with your boy. <laughs> Is there any money in building custom bikes? There there really isn't <laughs> so it's, it's, there's money in parts there's definitely money in parts and you know like i said in the earlier that you know when i started building them yeah I, I realized this is good marketing you know like putting a really cool custom out there keeps your brand in people's faces when you get bike exit features and cycle world features and iron air features like you get you get the the public eye looking at you but you know your your pool that you're pulling from for the right consumer for those bikes is really small, and you know you gotta you gotta diversify. So I know you know anybody that's still making in this industry has either got a service shop, they're you know you know Brian Fuller down in Atlanta, he's building cars and metal shaping. Like you know he's got more going on. You know the Revival Cycles guys, they got a retail shop and they do service on old stuff. You know, we do parts up here, and that's kind of our saving grace. But there ain't there ain't many <laughs> just builders out there anymore that are making a living just building motorcycles. You hear that, youngins? You got to diversify multiple right. streams of income. That's right. Listen, Tony, I you know I don't want to take up too much of your time, but we're at the part of the episode where we get into the Super Bowl questions. And basically, it's, you know, three questions, kind of rapid fire. And you give me. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, buddy. Um, So, uh, you know, let's just let's just get into it. You ready? Yep. Okay. Tupac or Biggie? Biggie. Nice. You said that with the quickness. Man, I'm old school hip hop, bro. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. Okay, moving on. See, these it's not that these aren't that bad. These aren't that bad. Next question. Jackson Pollock or Picasso? Picasso. Okay. All right. That's where I can respect that. As artist to artist, I can respect that. Okay. Final question. If you could take a ride with anyone, alive, dead, fictional, biblical, futuristic, who would that be? Where would you ride to, and what would you be riding? Mm, man, that's a deep one. I know. I'm Black Moses is deep. People think that I'm not complicated. I'm a complicated brother. I think I would probably try to pick something that's somewhat attainable, just because I don't really think way outside the box like that. Fair so I'd enough. probably say Peter Egan. Okay. On some Wisconsin back roads on some old Ducatis. Nice. Okay, I like it. I like that's it. Kind of my that's kind of my speed. <laughs> I can dig it, brother. Is there anybody you want to say uh, hello to? Shout out, uh, thanks, and you know how how can the good people, the, the the listeners of Life in the Fast Lane, how can they get in touch with you? Um, just I guess shout out to everybody that's following us on Instagram and our social media. Anybody that's bought some parts from us, so definitely thank you for your support. Um, you can find us at analogmotorcycles.com or analogmotorgoods.com. We're also on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter with both accounts, Analog Motorcycles and Analog Motor Goods. But uh, just thank you all for listening and thanks for your support. And thank you, Alan, for having me. 
Tony, always a pleasure. Looking forward to seeing you in Austin at the uh, One Motor Show and, of course, the SBI MotoGP weekend kickoff party jammy jam. So I'll see you yeah, soon. Uh, I think we have our Nikki. He hating tribute bills oh. out there at the uh, code of this year. So you know what? You know what? That was we'll be hanging at the track. Real quick before we go, tell us about that real quick before we go. The Nikki Hayden tribute. Um, like, shout out to the brother Nikki. Rest ride in peace, brother. You are missed. Yep, it was uh, the AMA had contacted me. We'd done a build for them in the past for their raffle bikes, and they contacted me early last year and said they wanted to do something special. Um, they had known that Nikki was going to be on the ballot. They didn't know if he was going to be inducted or not at that time. So they kind of started the wheels turning. Like, what if we did a Nikki Hayden tribute bike? And I was like, yeah, I'd totally be into that. And at the time there was another possible um, inductee that I won't mention that we were going to maybe do like a, you know, two of those builds simultaneously. Okay. Um, that one kind of fell through. So Nikki got on the ballot and they, you know, they kind of, it was a shoe in, you know, like who's, of course, oh, this is probably going to happen. So they contacted Honda. Honda's like, yeah, we want to be a part of it. And they're like, well, let's do two bikes. So they called me up and like, they want to do two bikes. What do you think? And I was like, well, I want to do something with his heritage. I want to do something flat track. And they like, well, they like that idea, but they also want to do a CBR you know, sort of as his sport bike thing. So sure. originally I shopped them with the idea of doing his 2002 livery on the CBR because obviously the Repsol livery is something that Honda does. You know, it's kind of a, a you know, their their thing anyways. But uh, corporate being as it may, requested that the CBR be the Repsol livery. So my painter, Jason, up in Milwaukee or up in Waukesha, he found all of the right colors all the right graphics and nailed it on making that like the 2006 uh honda repsol bike that he won on and then i was able to kind of take that xr 650 and really give it you know the full custom job making it into a flat track and then putting his 2002 livery on that so it was amazing opportunity um you know we we were really excited to, to be a part of it and really excited to meet the whole Hayden family at the induction ceremony. And, you know, really glad that these bikes came out as well as they did. And, you know, some winner is going to win both of them. So you can go to the AMA website and you can buy raffle tickets if you're in the U.S. and you got a chance to win two amazing Nikki Hayden tribute bikes. You guys did a, a hell of a job. I mean, I, it's gorgeous, gorgeous man. And, and again, that's a, that's a tip of the hat to you as an artist and your vision and being able to uh, take what's in your brain and make it something real, man. I appreciate you. you, man. I appreciate you, Thank brother. You. Hey, Tony, I will talk to you soon, man. All right. I'll talk to you, man. Thank you for everything. Thank you. That's our show for this week. Please follow the show, Life in the Fast Lane, on Instagram at Life in the Fast Lane Official, on Twitter at L-I-T-F-L Official, and on Facebook, you can find us at Life in the Fast Lane Podcast. Please hit that like, hit that share, hit that subscribe button, tell a friend, meet more people, make more friends so you can tell them. We'll be right back here next Friday with an all-new episode of Life in the Fast Lane. I'm gone!
I'm Jerry P. Tuck, CEO of Radio Influence. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thank you for downloading and subscribing to this podcast. There are a lot of people behind the scenes here at Radio Influence that work hard to keep you entertained day in and day out. If you'd like to get involved and advertise on this program, or you have some show ideas that you'd like to see us add to the Radio Influence family, please email us at contact at radioinfluence.com. We all have crazy schedules, so the fact that you took time out of your busy day to let us entertain you for a while means a lot. Without you, the listeners, we wouldn't exist. So thank you again for downloading and subscribing to this show. Don't forget to check out RadioInfluence.com to see what other shows we also have to offer. All of Radio Influence's programming can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and of course, RadioInfluence.com. <laughs>